Welcome to Reasonable Doubts, your skeptical guide to religion. Welcome to Reasonable Doubts. I am Dave Fletcher. With me in the studio is Jeremy Bean. Yellow. And Dr. Professor Luke Galen. Good morning. We're going to start off today with a bit of news that comes really right from the Stranger Than Fiction desk. Um, John McCain picks his running mate, the governor of Alaska, a creationist, a hockey mom, as she has dubbed herself, Sarah Palin. If you're not scared of Sarah Palin yet you're probably not paying enough attention. That's right. We haven't had a chance to talk about Sarah Palin since that announcement came out. This is the first time the Doubtcasters have been gathered to record, and uh, I'm frankly quite terrified. You know, um, and as I was saying right before we started recording is it's terrifying, but kind of not really because I feel like this choice has hurt McCain's chances so badly that – we don't have to worry, but I, I'm optimistic that that could be the case. And and there's certainly been some things just recently with her dodging the press and everything else yes. that that the facade looks like it's crumbling a bit. But just the fact that they were able to make that move, mm-hmm. that they were willing to make that move. Right. We talked about on the show several several episodes ago, before the Democratic and Republican nominees were even chosen, mm-hmm. about how. The Republican Party seemed to be abandoning the religious right. That was too hot. They didn't want to go there. They didn't want to be associated with it anymore. And we were very optimistic. And at the same time, the religious right seemed to be evangelicals seemed to be distancing themselves from politics Mm -hmm. and saying, we don't want to be associated with the Republican Party because it's going down now. And boy, were we naive, (laughs) I think, to be optimistic about that because – all it took was announcing Sarah Palin as his running mate. That's why I think it's, I'm more pessimistic than you guys because uh, that's the get, that's a get out of the vote thing. There's a lot of evangelicals just want to stay right. home for John McCain that are not going to go to the polls the way that they went to the polls for the the Karl Rove strategy was mm-hmm. screw compromise. Let's get out the base. Right. And so this is uh, a get out the base pick by mm-hmm. McCain. Y- yeah, and, and I don't know. Does the fact that she's a woman? hurt that push at all? Do Are there evangelicals that are going to say, I, I don't want to vote for a woman? Nope, because they, any qualms they might have had are trumped by her her like-mindedness. And so the right. statistics show that she's actually picked up a lot of undecided women voters that would have presumably for Hillary. Uh, right. She's, she's picked, picked up, up the torch from, from Hillary, as she said herself. Which, mm-hmm. Thank goodness um, that uh, someone could, could – uh, Pick up yeah. where Hillary left That's off. That's amongst undecided voters. It's not like she's stripping away Hillary supporters from the Democratic right. side. Though. That, right. that was one that, that the data didn't pan out, I seem to recall seeing. It's funny that just last, week, just last episode, we were speaking about how some had criticized the show for being too political. We've been criticized for, for being too uh, – uh, mentioning left-leaning politics. And I think that our argument was that we um, – even though the outcome might might seem as if we agree with that in a preordained way, we actually uh, focus more on the process 
of how an issue should be decided rather than mm-hmm. the outcome. And so, for example, science, uh, empirical evidence, that sort of thing trumps that, right. uh, trumps any type of ideological thing. We mentioned even, for example, some of the things that like, you know, genetics or evolutionary psychology where we would be right of the traditional liberal position right. because we're not kind of postmodernist or whatever. But right. I think the thing that the bottom line for us tends to be uh, evidence. If somebody can produce uh, evidence that a conservative position is best, then we right. can at least talk about that. And this goes beyond just a political issue because we do have evidence as to um, how religious in nature Sarah Palin is and how her religious views will influence her political decisions. And it it is very strong evidence. It's very damning evidence, mm-hmm. and it's it's quite frightening. Well, and normally the the vice presidential spot pre Dick Cheney, um, vice president has two jobs, which is to uh, break a tie in Senate if there happens to be one, and to take over for the president should anything happen to the president. And go to a lot of funerals. And go to a lot of funerals. Um, so that it, it's mostly a ceremonial position. So if we were dealing with a president who was young and virile and all of that, I'd be less scared because chances are she's not going to do anything. And according to Sarah Palin, she doesn't know what the vice president does anyway. But we're talking about John McCain here, who I, I don't know if I've mentioned this on, on the show before. He's old. He's she is a heartbeat away from the office of president and it's a heartbeat belonging to a hundred and ninety seven year old man. This is what makes it scary. I, I think your figures might be a little off. Is okay, well I'm bad at Go math. to fact check after the debate. We'll we'll check I, But anyway, well, lo- well, looking at some of the stuff that is um terrifying about the uh the idea of her inheriting the role of president. Well I think that have, are we gonna talk about the Sam Harris piece? Yeah, I, I, I just, I don't know about you guys, but I thought that was very, that kind of went right to the point. That was very well written in terms of the, uh, uh, what we just talked about, that that what's scary about her is not that she's not personally, you know, uh, seems like a charming person, but the, mm-hmm. the problem with her is the combination of certainty with ignorance and, and, a, and a worldview that almost glorifies being ignorant, shooting from the hip, going by her womanly intuition rather than coming by the facts, uh, the old, good old fashioned way by learning stuff and Right, and so that's the that's the problem with hers. Again, it's not the conservative positions. It seems how she quickly arrives at these things just by force of her own personality mm-hmm. or her background. I'm going to vote for her because she's a woman with kids. I mean, what what kind of rationale is that? It's as solid as the logic that I'm from Alaska. I can see Russia. Therefore, I, see Russia I have foreign house. policy experience. Mm-hmm. Um, also disturbing too is her um, her particular religious background is Assemblies of God. Mm-hmm. As was uh, as was John Ashcroft, the Attorney General uh, for the first Bush administration. Right, not the first Bush administration, the first. Oh, President Bush's first term. Yes, John yeah. Ashcroft was there. Um, was also from the Assemblies of God. He was he had done things like cover up the bare breasts of the statue in the yep. rotunda of the mm-hmm. building, yeah. and and Harris brings us up in his in his article. You can find it on Newsweek dot com. The article is entitled "There at Newsweek When Atheists Attack." A noted provocateur rips Sarah Palin and defends elitism. But that seems like uh, – I think that's the headline Newsweek chose for it. I'm pretty sure Sam Harris <laughs> – I don't know if there's any videos of atheists coming out of trailers with you know T-shirts on taking a swing. Yeah. <laughs> he, uh, he brings up a very important point about this Assemblies of God church. 
Given her long affiliation with the Assemblies of God Church, Harris writes, Palin very likely believes that biblical prophecy is an infallible guide to future events and that we are living in the end times. Like many Pentecostals, Palin may even imagine that she and her fellow parishioners enjoy the power of prophecy themselves. Otherwise, what could she have meant when declaring to her congregation that, quote, God is going to tell you what is going on and what is going to go on, and you guys are going to have that within you? Well, it's it's more than just quite likely um, this is the case. Yeah, I think historically people get when we like people tend to conflate the terms fundamentalism and evangelical and Pentecostal. But I think that right. in some ways we tend to deal with on the show most of the time with fundamentalist and Bible type people who presumably use well, we're counter apologetics, the rational yeah. re- mm-hmm. refutation. Sure. The Pentecostals. Are, go almost uh, – and there's some overlap, but they go into more the emotional revelation realm. And I That's think right. in some ways that makes them a little bit more scary because how do you – with a Bible verse memorizer guy, you can always say, well, it says here this verse and this – not that they can't squirm out of it. But with a Pentecostal who gets revelation direct from above, how do you even try to get a grip on that sort yeah. of thing? You know, You know it in your heart. For some of them, prophecy is a spiritual gift that they can possess. They will receive prophecies from God. And there's a whole language that goes along with that. Um, You hear them use the phrases, I received a word, which is shorthand for I received the word of prophecy. Hmm. And in that that very famous now YouTube video where Palin is speaking at a graduation ceremony uh, for a Christian school that is being uh, held at her church in Alaska, she uses those same phrases, and she uses them to speak about her policies, her political policies, right. trying to build a pipeline through part of Alaska and stuff. And she talks about receiving a word, which means that she quite likely, in some real way, thinks that the thoughts that pop into her head and the policies that she really wants to push forward as governor are given to her by God. And so how can you have any sort of self-reflection or self-criticism when to doubt your own thoughts on occasion could be, if if you are convinced they were prophecy, tantamount to, go- <laughs> to doubt- doubting God. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's not her politics so much that, that worries me. I well, disagree with her politics, yeah. but it's it's how she derives them. Well, I, I don't mind saying that uh, it is her politics that bother me. There's a great article in Salon.com it's called The Pastor Who Clashed with Palin, mm, speaking mm-hmm. – uh, it's an interview with Baptist minister Howard Bess, who had some run-ins with Palin and, and some experience. And uh, they bring other witnesses, too, as to how Palin behaved when she was mayor of Wasilla. The second largest town in Alaska. Alaska's crystal meth capital. Yeah. It, yes, that too. It starts with Palin – going to the Wasilla Public Library and trying to have a book written by this pastor, Howard Bess, uh, called Pastor, I Am Gay, where Bess makes his argument that Christians should be open to homosexuals and that homosexuals can be legitimate Christians and part of, you know, part of God's people. Uh, It starts off with her trying to ban this book from the Wasilla Public Library. Now, she's denied publicly having done this, but Reverend Howard Bess argues 
This is a small town. We all know each other. People in the city government have confirmed to me what Sarah was trying to do. Uh, so with which with the small town context, it was quite easy to know mm-hmm. that she was behind a lot of these things that was going on. Bess also says, quote, she scares me. She's Jerry Falwell with a pretty face. The article goes on to talk about, quote, in 1996, evangelical churches mounted a vigorous campaign to take over the local hospital's community board and to ban abortion from the valley. This ultimately led in a lawsuit because one uh, couple seeking an abortion had to go all the way, had to travel all the way to Seattle to actually Mm -hmm. get one. So the Alaska Supreme Court had to step in and ruled that the hospital must provide valley women with the abortion option, says the article. So right away, trying to stack medical boards with conservative Christians to bring down the practice of abortion. Same thing was reported with the, was it the Matsu Borough School Board? That Palin was was behind the drive to push uh, more evangelicals to occupy spaces on the school board Mm -hmm. because they wanted to get creationism taught in the local schools. An activist, Philip Munger, pressed Palin on her views on creationism while this was going on. He said, I pushed her on the Earth's creation, whether it was really less than 7,000 years old or whether dinosaurs and humans walked the Earth at the same time. And she said, yes, she'd seen images somewhere of dinosaur fossils with human footprints in them. What? Yeah, yeah, they had those a from strong foot imprinting on a fossil. They, I think there was, there was that was some group like one of the groups like Discovery people or whatever yeah, in, in yeah. Texas that claimed to have these fossils that showed superimposed human steps on the on the dinosaurs. Obviously, they've been debunked scientifically. Right, so. right. Munger also asked Palin. The article says, if she truly believed in the end of days, the doomsday scenario when the Messiah will return, quote. She looked in my eyes and said, yes, I think I will see Jesus come back to earth in my lifetime. So that sound you hear is the chill in my spine. Yeah. Uh Well, some of the videos that they were showing from the organization, they're they're almost – and this is something we probably don't know because we're not in Alaska. But they almost treat Alaska like this because of the natural resources and the oil and such and Mm -hmm. the isolation as if it's going to be this like last – Bunker of the yeah. Armageddon, where people are going to want their stuff and go up there. And, and hey, if the world is, if there's global warming, there's plenty cold up there. So everybody's going to want to like flock to their mm-hmm. kind of bunker hideout. You know? I, I thought that was the most disturbing thing in that mm-hmm. video. That uh, again, it's all over the internet. It's all over YouTube. Watch it sometime, where she's uh, giving the address to the uh, the graduating class from this this Christian school. Yeah. They just talk openly as they are praying around Sarah Palin and laying hands on her. Um, before that begins, the pastor just openly starts talking about how, and we all know that uh, Alaska is going to be an important refuge in the end times, you know, sometime soon. And God has God has given us Sarah Palin as part of his mission. I, I don't know ex- word for word what he said, right, but it right. was clear that this was what the congregation believed. And although Palin didn't echo any of that at that, she didn't at that precise moment, she made she was right there. <laughs> You know, kind of nodding her head and everything, and made no attempt mm-hmm. to try to dispel that belief at all, or or disassociate herself from that. Of course, she, if she had already been the VP pick, I'm sure she would. <laughs> well, that's what they're going to do. Now, is kind of back backpedal on a lot of these things, or just simply not answer them and say that she never said that herself, or use code language, which is what Bush did 
a lot is to use code language that would be recognizable to other evangelicals, but yet would sound to a mainstream person it wouldn't raise any red flags. Right. Right. You know, when you look I, at I, her abortion rights issues and um, uh, sex ed and, of course, then there's the intelligent design push, which is absolutely terrifying. To be fair – uh, Barack Obama also has a crazy pastor who we've talked about before on the show, uh, Jeremiah Wright. But apples to oranges here. Yeah, we don't see we don't see Barack Obama immediately making it his first priority to go ban books mm-hmm. of other Christians that he disagrees right. with. What what this article, the Salon article, makes it look like is that she is a very effective grassroots religious right mobilizer. Mm-hmm. And you can't tell me that her role as VP will be just ceremonial in that regard. Did you mean that Uh, as a pun? She's ceremonial? Sorry. Um, I think we can expect to see more of that. Well, and her record shows that not only does she hold these things as personal beliefs, which is one thing. You know, if you believe that abortion is wrong and that's your personal belief, fine. But to try to legislate based on these personal beliefs that are are derived through um, well, not just irrational belief. To, to try to get around to circumvent the legislative right. process by just pressure tactics yeah. and I, cronyism. I don't care if, if Obama worships Mohammed or Jesus or the Hindu floaty thing. It, it doesn't matter to me because he has made it clear that there is a separation between church and state except when it comes to faith-based initiatives uh, on occasion. Sarah Palin clearly is using her religious agenda to influence her politics. I, I just can't I, – I, I still have a hard time understanding why McCain would make a mistake like that. Whether or not, He seems it, more savvy was it than just this. A, was it just a moment of desperation? Well, look at his numbers. He got a bump though. If, yeah. if, his, if his goal is to get the people who, are, who would stay home because he's cold to religion, he got some of them back. Yeah, well, I can understand a person selling their soul to get into political office, but it just seems like um, uh, she's precisely the type of person that the McCain of years past wouldn't have any time to cooperate with. Uh, he wants to yeah, win. But that McCain is long gone. He wants to win. You want to lose and be the good guy? Well, I guess as one last note, did you guys read that rather chilling blog post that I sent you from uh, Ed Brayton? Oh, yeah. Yes, this is a uh, good friend. Ed Brayton, friend of the show. The, the Witch Doctor one? No. No, this is uh, the Ed, – Ed Brayton is uh, author of Dispatches from the Culture Wars. We've had him on the show before, and he likes to keep track of all these things. And he had a very interesting post on his blog about how the Christian Reconstructionists have taken notice of Palin. Yeah, let me, let me read what they have here. Uh, Jay Rogers, a militant anti-abortion type from Florida – Wex is eloquent, says Ed Braden, about Palin for a while, uh, then presents his plan. This is what Jay Rogers... We, we should probably explain who the Christian Reconstructionists are right now yeah, for I, anybody who may not know. They're plastic surgeons? Is... No, they're, they're the ones cleaning up after the Civil War. Okay. No, Cr- Christian Reconstructionists are... These are the people who believe that we should change our constitution to make our legal system compatible with the Old Testament law, you know, where 
children are stoned for cursing their parents right. and uh, women can be sold into slavery and, and that such. I mean, they are the extreme, extreme radical fringe. Um, you know, there's not too many of them, but they're out there. Right. And it's just interesting what they've said about Palin. Yes. Jay Rogers, a militant anti-abortion type from Florida, has this to say. Here's his three-point plan. Number one, vote Constitution Party. says, I vote my conscience and cannot support McCain even with Palin. So he's going to vote for the Constitution Party, which is not a party that I know or care much about. Number two, pray for Sarah Palin to win. I'm an idealist, but also a realist. So vote Constitution, pray for Sarah Palin to win, not John McCain. And number three, pray for John McCain's salvation and speedy death. They, they, are, they are praying that McCain will die. And well, Palin will that he'll be saved I mean, first and yeah. then die okay, quickly. Okay, yeah, yeah. So you know, it's uh, it's not well, that harsh. I don't want to sound too alarmist, but I don't think it's completely inconceivable that there wouldn't be some crackpot reconstructionist. They're already off the deep end, right? Who would see it as God's will that they take that into their own hands and make that come about and go all Travis Bickle. Yeah. Now I'm granted. I think that. The odds of that happening are probably pretty low. Right. Uh, uh, but still, these are the types of things that could happen. It's the mindset. Or when they do happen, you know, if, even if they don't take action, these people often read into history retroactively that it was foreordained that way because they mm-hmm. see it as like, why would God, you know, God wanted George Bush to be elected and mm-hmm. lead, lead to meltdown. There's a purpose to all these things. So it would, no matter which way it turns it out, it's unfalsifiable. And they just read it into it's all part of his, his plan. Yeah. Sam Harris has a great <coughs> quote that goes along with that. Harris says in his article, there is no question that if President McCain chokes on a spare rib and Palin becomes the first woman president, she and her supporters will believe that God, in all his majesty and wisdom, has brought it to pass. Why would God give Sarah Palin a job she isn't ready for? He wouldn't. Everything happens for a reason. Mm. Palin seems perfectly willing to stake the welfare of our country, even the welfare of our species, as collateral in her own personal journey of faith. Of course, McCain has made the same unconscionable wager on his personal journey to the White House. Mm-hmm. Nicely put. Yes. Way to go, Sam. Part of my um, research has been into the social cognition aspects of, of uh, religious thought, particularly fundamentalist thought, how it is that they view the world, mm-hmm. how do they attribute the causes and, and of events. And one of the concepts in, in social psychology that uh, over the past 20, 30 years uh, has been called a, a belief in a just world, that is the belief that the world operates out of a sense of justice, the good are rewarded, the, the evil are punished. It's a, it's a bias that people tend to have in general, just like reading into, you know, if I do something and, and something bad happens, it wasn't my fault or whatever. Mm, but so, okay. uh, but some people hold this more than others. That is, although some people conclude that random events happen and you can't, you know, there's no rhyme or reason. There's others that, that assume on an individual level they, that uh, if they see somebody, for example, who does well, that they must have deserved it. Or if something bad happens to them, well, they must have had it coming to them. Right. We've talked about this mindset before with the um, televangelists and so forth who, you know, conspicuous consumption, they have all this money. It shows that God loves them very much. Yeah. So it so yeah. kind of fits right in with predestination theology as well. Well, right. what, what, what psychologists look at that from is that maybe there's a tendency for uh, like a personality trader for it to be almost wired into us as in looking for some sort of cause and effect relationship all the time. It Maybe it was adaptive to do so. But that run wild, you see all kinds of things from, you know, in a primitive society, if lightning strikes your hut, well, 
maybe Thog didn't make a sacrifice to God the proper way or mm-hmm. – but this belief in a just world, uh, I did a study last year where I wanted to see whether actually it leads to blaming people that have bad things happen to them. That if That is, if people are stronger in their religious views, would they actually have a higher belief in a just world viewing a negative event? Do you blame the victim then? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and there is some evidence in the literature that, that conservatives over liberals tend to like say blame people like they did some studies after Hurricane Katrina where they tended to blame more like, well, why were they living there in the first place and why should we help somebody sure. who lives in that sort of thing? But I, I looked at the, the students who were either high or low in religious fundamentalism. So I separated students out to be in the experiment who I had measures on that they were either a high religious fundamentalist or a low religious fundamentalist. And then I had them view videotapes of the same actor. They didn't know it was an actor, but it was a, a interview, mock interview situation. And they saw that this person uh, was going on about the things that had happened to them. And I had different versions of this. Uh, some good outcomes occurred. And for some of the subjects, they saw that this person got uh, studied hard and got a scholarship and got a good job. But the bad version was that she had uh, that she had not gotten a scholarship. Her grades were poor, and so she got a bad job after college, and that uh, you know she was stuck mm-hmm. in that. And so the people that were watching the videotape were asked to then say, "How deserving was, the, was this person of the of the outcome?" What I found was that the high religious fundamentalists, when there was a bad outcome, they tended to think that she was relatively more deserving, whereas the low fundamentalists said, "You know, in effect, it's not her fault." Uh, there was even a scenario that was completely not her responsibility. It was her dad got cancer. She, she couldn't study. She got bad grades, right. whatever. And the high fundamentalist still, relative to the low fundamentalist, blamed her more, said that she was more deserving if the outcome was bad. So, But if it, the outcome is good, they don't give her There's credit. not a lot of difference. Uh, yeah, there's not a lot of difference between people on good outcomes. Most people say, add a girl, way to go, you know, you deserve mm-hmm. it. But the big okay. difference between the 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 people who who do the blaming is in bad situations, mm-hmm. and and again, like we were just talking, you can kind of read that into social things. You see it, you know, ripped from the headlines that many people say these outlandish things after a disaster or after you know somebody has an illness. They say that most people say, "Oh, that's too bad. Stuff happens." But there are there's a proportion of people that say, "Well." Maybe it's, you know, maybe AIDS is God's revenge or maybe he got sick because he didn't pray enough or something like that. And how would people like this respond to our current economic crisis? Many people actually combine – it gets complex because they combine secular with religious explanations. Hmm. So like with economics or with uh, cancer, they might say, well, obviously there's there's practical, natural reasons. You know, you smoke, you get lung cancer. But Mm -hmm. why did God choose to do this at this time? Uh, So a lot of work on conservative Christians – uh, shows that they combine things. They, they, it's not that they're not knowledgeable that there are naturalistic explanations. Sure. But what they add to that is why now? Or maybe God's sending you a message through the cancer or through the stock market right. or something. Add that like little that. spice to uh, tragedy. So to link that back to what we were just talking about with Palin and some of the Pentecostals, clearly that that uh, there's this tendency for some people to say if there were an end times event or you know some sort of disaster, they would say, oh look. The, the disaster was preordained. Uh, maybe people had this coming to them because of mm-hmm. sin or something like that. And so that's the thing. I think that the implication of some of this work is that natural processes of like your the way that your brain functions, whatever, it can have some kind of nasty effects for some people that are that are predisposed to view things as being cause and effect when in fact there's no cause and effect. Mm-hmm. Well, when it comes to Sarah Palin. And the upcoming election, I'd say let's hope for the best and hope that it works out well. But that's more just world ideology. Let's get out there and do something. Go vote. 
this is not something that we can let slide. And I, I dare say that even our our conservative non-religious listeners are still going to accept yeah. that Sarah Palin, even if some of her politics are more in line with yours, the way she derives them and the influence that her religion is going to have on her politics. I've heard a lot of conservatives pushing for Sarah Palin to withdraw from the – Yes. Yeah. Decide that she wants to spend more time with her family. Yeah. So those of you out there listening in the United States, please, please, please go out and vote. <laughs> Moving from the irrational to the hyper-rational, we have a guest today, Victor Stenger, who's the author of the book God, the Failed Hypothesis. Victor Stenger is Emeritus Professor of Physics and Astronomy at the University of Hawaii and an adjunct professor of philosophy at the University of Colorado at Boulder. So Colorado and Hawaii, both nicer places to live than Michigan. Yeah, he, uh, boy, he managed to carve out quite a... (laughs) Where do I sign up? Yeah. So yeah, let's move on to God, the Failed Hypothesis. Dr. Victor Sanger, thanks for joining us on Reasonable Doubts. Well, it's a pleasure to to be here. Now, I'm a big fan of your book, God, the Failed Hypothesis, and I'm I'm amazed how you can take complex ideas and make them very simple. I will say your book does kind of go a little further than some others do in that you suggest more than just that science does not provide evidence for belief in God. You say that actually looking at the current science – this shows that God does not exist, in fact. Yes, that's exactly what I was trying to achieve with this book here, to go to go farther. In fact, I had written an earlier book uh, uh, called Has Science Found God, where I was trying to counter the arguments that there's scientific evidence for God, and I think I achieved that. But then you, uh, people will say, well... Uh, absence of evidence as in evidence for absence. And so the theme of this book is that indeed absence of evidence can be good evidence for absence. If it's absence of evidence, that should be there and Mm -hmm. is not there. Then you would agree with Richard Dawkins and others essentially that this is a testable hypothesis, that that God would exist. That's right. Uh, It's not so much that any... feature of God, any metaphysical property of God would be testable, but uh, and, and a God that was nothing but metaphysical <laughs> and played no role in the universe would not be testable, but the God that most people worship, the Judeo-Christian Islamic God uh, and many other kinds of gods are gods that, that play an important role in the universe and affect phenomena, and those phenomena uh, are observable, and so there, there's where science then has a role in talking about the the phenomena that should should be expected if there was this kind of a god. Give me an example of some of the phenomena that should be expected if there was uh, a deity, something like we find out about in the in the Jewish and Christian and, and Muslim mm-hmm. texts. Well, the most common reason that people give for believing in God is the design reason, that they look around the world, they say, how could all this uh, happen? by uh, by accident, uh, by natural means, more generally. and and then, But uh, when a scientist looks around, looks at the world, the biological world, or in my case, the, the cosmos as well, 
uh, you, you find that it doesn't look designed. It looks just like it should look if it uh, wasn't designed. You should expect to see evidence for, for design. You should be, expect to see violations of the laws of nature, for example, because God presumably uh, has to uh, uh, step in because he doesn't like the way things are going, and so he should step in, and that might involve a miracle. Uh, and uh, that a miracle is, in principle, detectable. Now, there are more specific examples I could give, such as as uh, uh, answering prayers. If, if God really answered prayers, and there's billions of people praying to him every day, uh, then there should be evidence for that. And there's mm-hmm. been scientific studies that uh, have looked for evidence. And these studies, are, there's some very good, well-conducted studies uh, 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 for intercessory uh, intercessory prayer, and they don't find any any evidence for it. So that's one specific example where where there should be evidence for God, and there isn't. Some would argue the existence of the universe itself. Where did matter come from? Where did the laws of physics that govern matter? Where did those come from? And they feel that question points to a cause, a first cause for mm-hmm. the universe. Are we able naturalistically to give a basis for the origin of the universe, or might we have to look outside of nature for mm-hmm. an origin of the universe? Well, first of all, throughout science, there's no need to interject anything beyond matter in, as an explanatory process. That doesn't mean, of course, that we understand everything, mm-hmm. but there's nothing that we can point to, no observation that we can point to, no anomaly that uh, we may not have an understanding for, that doesn't have at least a plausible naturalistic explanation. Now we get to the question of the origin of the universe itself, the origin, why is there something rather than nothing, where the laws of physics come from. Those are tough questions, but uh, we have uh, some pretty good ideas about them. In particular, there are any number of scenarios that have been published by reputable scientists in reputable scientific journals uh, for the natural origin of the universe. I describe uh, one of them in great detail in my earlier book, The Comprehensible Cosmos. And uh, if people want to Google uh, my website, they can find an an article I wrote on that as well. And we'll have a link to... uh to Victor Stanger's website on our website, uh, doubtcast.org. Yeah, there's a number of articles on those uh, on the site that uh, will clarify a lot of the things that hopefully clarify a lot of the things that we're talking about today. So uh, let me just uh, outline for you this one particular scenario that I worked out in, in detail, actually in mathematical detail. It was first proposed by uh, Stephen Hawking and James Hartle about 30 years ago. And the idea is, is really quite simple, that there actually was a universe prior to our universe mm-hmm. uh, that uh, con- that collapsed down. It got down to the smallest possible region that's, that's uh, definable and uh, a region of complete chaos. And then it quantum tunneled through. What quantum tunneling is is a well-established process by which uh, a particle can actually penetrate a barrier. It's a phenomenon that uh, has been uh, uh, used to describe, to explain things such as uh, the alpha decay of nuclei, 
and as the the uh, process by which a, a very important uh, device called the scanning tunneling microscope works which enables us to look to very small distances see atoms and so on so this is an established process and the idea is that the universe our universe tunnel uh, appeared by a tunneling from a a prior universe that always existed. There was no beginning. If you extrapolate back, uh, there, this universe goes back in time uh, uh, endlessly. Now, there's another little feature of this, and that is that this mirror universe, if you want to call it, the universe that's in our, in our past, actually has an arrow of time that points the other way because the arrow of time is is an arbitrary thing. It's determined by... Uh, at least by convention, uh, the direction in which uh, uh, more probable occurrences happen. Uh, it's, or if you know the technical term, it's entropy. The, the uh, entropy of the universe uh, increases in one direction, and that's the, that's the direction that we define as the direction of time. So in that universe, the entropy is, is increasing opposite to the direction of the entropy in our universe. So the its time axis is actually opposite. So you have basically these two universes emerging from this little region of chaos. And since that region of chaos uh, has is nothing, it, it, we have no information about it, it's unmeasurable, has no structure, then you can call it nothing because I don't know what else, how else you would define nothing is except something that has no structure. Hmm. So it's a mechanism by which we get something from nothing. I've heard people use the entropy argument as another evidence of God, or not really an evidence of God, but to insert a gap, uh, saying that if the second law of thermodynamics says that a system, an orderly system, will tend towards disorder, then watching our universe tend towards disorder, if you were to run the situation backward, we would have a system with very low entropy and how does that come into existence except some sort of God? And so they would claim that the, the very fact that our universe is, is, mm-hmm. possesses order is somehow a, an argument uh, or, or a signpost that there has been some sort of mm-hmm. intervention in the laws yeah, of nature. Yeah, right, because the, you would say the universe is becoming increasingly... Disorderly, so it must have been orderly to begin with. And where else? Where'd that order come from? That's, right. that's what you. And uh, it, it, that is again, you know, many of these arguments that people make for God were at one time good arguments. The argument from design was once a good argument until Darwin came along and showed us how we could get uh, complexity from simplicity. And uh, the same thing is true here. What you said would be true if the universe was a firmament, as described in the Bible. But <laughs> but in 1916 or 3020 or 30, whatever, well, I think it was around 1930 now that I think of it, uh, uh, Hubble discovered that the universe was expanding. And so in the, in the framework of an expanding universe, you can start out with maximum entropy and still have the entropy increase uh, because the, the maximum entropy depends on the size of the region that you're talking about. And so if you start out with a very small region, uh, then the entropy uh, could, be, could be maximum. And then when that small that region, volume. 
yeah, that small volume ex- starts expanding in the Big Bang, uh, then the maximum entropy starts increasing. And the actual entropy of the universe is, is, it turns out, to be less than that. In fact, there's a simple way to calculate the maximum entropy of, say, a sphere. It's proportional to the square of the of the uh, radius of the sphere. It's the maximum entropy of a sphere is is given by a black hole of that size because a black hole has maximum entropy. And so, when the Big Bang occurs. Uh, with the early this this early region of inflation and then the big the regular big bang that's all all a big expansion that's taking place and that allows increasing room for order to form now i like to give a simple example to explain how that happens uh, suppose that you uh, are cleaning your house uh, once a week and what you do is you, s- you sweep it up and you get all the rubbish and you toss it out the window into your yard well, you do this week after week. Eventually, your yard is going to be filled with rubbish, and uh, you won't have any more room to do this. How do you solve the problem? Well, the way you would solve the problem is, is buy up some more land around your house. And as long as you keep doing that, as long as you keep buying up more land, you'll always have room to toss out the rubbish. Well, that's the way it is with the expanding of the universe. There's always room to toss off that entropy to the rest of the universe. Mm-hmm. Talking about the second law of thermodynamics is really right up pushing up against the limits mm-hmm. of what I can even begin to understand of physics and probably crossing over it uh, as being somebody who's untrained in in that particular field of knowledge. And yet there's so much interest now in physics and what its implications mean for religious beliefs and beliefs in the paranormal. And you have a lot of people who don't have the necessary knowledge base commenting on these issues or interested in these issues and wanting to learn more. As a professional physicist, how often do you think some of the theists that make arguments uh, using physics arguments really appreciate or understand the physics? Or this would even be true of you know some, some new age um, quantum consciousness and these sure. other views. Uh, do you find that your uh, philosophical opponents oftentimes grasp the science? No, as a matter of fact, uh, one of the easiest parts of my job is is to debunk uh, some of these ideas that people have uh, that result from their own misunderstanding uh, of, of, of science, particular physics, or in some cases they may even be rep- misrepresenting it they, for their own benefit. I don't put it past some of these Christian apologists to uh, downright lie to get their their point uh, uh, listened to by by the masses, and I know that sounds that that may sound uh, unfair, but I, I I've run into enough instances where a person has I'm sure that the person knows knows something is true, but still argues the opposite. A good example is the man you mentioned, William Lane Craig. I've debated him for for the longest time, for about 30 years. He's used an argument based called the Kalam cosmological mm-hmm. argument, and it's based on the idea that the universe had to have a beginning and that everything that begins have a cause, must have a cause. Both of those arguments are wrong. He knows they're wrong, and yet he still continues to 
to make those arguments. The first argument that the universe had to be had to have a beginning was based on uh, a theorem that uh, Stephen Hawking and Roger Penrose derived about 30 years ago, showing that the universe began in a singularity, uh, which is a, a infinitesimal point of infinite mass density, energy density. And that theorem was based on Einstein's general theory of relativity. And it's correct insofar as you only have the theory of general relativity. But the general theory of general relativity has been well known uh, from, the, from the earliest part of the 20th century is can't be the final theory because it doesn't take into account quantum mechanics. And when you take into account quantum mechanics, you find the singularity does not occur. And Stephen Hawking and, and Roger Penrose have both said that. In fact, if you look at Hawking's book, The Brief History of Time, he kind of laughs about it, about how mm. He had first shown that there was the singularity, and now he's trying to convince people that there wasn't. Uh, uh, and, uh, and, in, and in fact, uh, Penrose agrees with that. So, so that's one uh, error that Craig is making. When I debated him in Hawaii in 2003, he used that argument. I explained why it didn't work. A few months later, he gave a talk at the University of Colorado, and there he was making the same old argument right. again. And, and he still has it on his website. Uh, so he still hasn't backed off from that. The other place where he's wrong is where he talks about the uh, everything that begins must have a, have a cause. In fact, uh, I heard you know, uh, there's, there was a recent book that just came out by uh, a very well-known person by the name of Dinesh Dino, uh, Yes. Danish uh, D'Souza, conservative critic, author. And uh, in his book, What's Wrong with Christianity, he refers to me as, as saying that everything that uh, begins doesn't have to have a cause as being absurd. He quotes uh, David Hume, the famous philosopher, as saying that such an idea is absurd. Well, it's understandable that someone like Hume would not know about quantum mechanics, but there's no excuse. <laughs> he can be forgiven for it. Yeah, he can be forgiven. That was, uh, but... Craig and, and D'Souza should know. And in quantum mechanics, there are many events that take place without cause. It happens spontaneously. That's one of the features of quantum mechanics. Atomic transitions that give us light. Uh, uh, no ind individual atomic transition is predictable. It's, they're all, they're all uh, spontaneous. And all you can predict uh, from the theory is the probability that something will happen. And nuclear decay is another example. So these are... These are all these uh, are errors in, in physics that these people are making. Most of the people who listen to what they write, read what they write, listen to what they say, uh, hear that and, and say, well, that sounds reasonable. They're using science. They have no reason to doubt them when, in fact, uh, uh, they should doubt them. It sounds like the, uh, a lot of the apologists are using the particular variants and theories, even ones that have been uh, thoroughly discredited, that would support their assumptions. Do you ever encounter scientists, perhaps with a religious motivation, wanting to do the same thing, wanting to uh, perhaps argue for a discredited theory and, and um, uh, reinforce it and find more evidence to support it because it would support their religious or philosophical views. Yes, I think Francis Collins is a good example of that, His, whose book, The Language of God, uh, came out about a year ago. Francis Collins was uh, 
the uh, director of the Genome Project. He was a well-established uh, uh, scientist, and the book, a lot of the book, is trying to convince Christians uh, to to believe in evolution. That evolution is 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 well-established, and he and he does a nice job of explaining how evolution works, how DNA works, and so on. So all that part of the book is fine, but then he talks about uh, how. There's evidence for God in science. One of the familiar arguments that a lot of people use is the fine-tuning argument that mm -hmm. uh, the constants of nature are very fine-tuned, and without them having exactly the values they have, life as we know it would not ex exist. And that sounds, again, like a very convincing argument, although you wonder why God would have to fine-tune the universe, why he wouldn't get it right in the first place, since he is God, after all, and he's perfect. Why would he, why would he uh, have to sit around and twiddle some more knobs to get it right? But besides that, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's just a false argument. Uh, because while it is true that our form of life wouldn't exist with exactly those constants, there could be some other form of life. Mm -hmm. If the universe uh, has some other set of constants, uh, life might still be possible. It would just wouldn't be our form of life. And a lot of people, including myself, have done some computer simulations where we've changed the constants of the universe to see what happens, see what kind of universe <laughs> develops. And I did that a, a long time ago. I first gave the results in my book, The Unconscious Quantum. In that book, I show that uh, if you vary some of the basic constants of nature, over many orders of magnitude, 10 orders of magnitude randomly. There were three basic ones, uh, three basic constants that determine a lot of the, most of the properties of the stars and so on. And you, I found out half of the stars that uh, were produced still lived a billion years, uh, had lifetimes of a billion years or more, hmm. which, which allows quite a bit of time for some form of life to, to evolve. So uh, it's not that unlikely at all that a different set of constants would have given life some some form. To make it clear what we mean by that, we could have an explanation that we can't prove. Mm -hmm. And theists might say, well, you can't prove that. Just like these scenarios for the right. origin of the universe. You, you, it's true that you can't, uh, you, you can't say right now that this is exactly how it happened. We, don't, we can't check it. Uh, and, and we're kind of speculating. But there's nothing wrong with speculating as long as you stay within the the rules, if you if you're using existing knowledge, and you're trying to extrapolate from that existing knowledge, you're, it's not just random speculation. You you are basing your speculation on on knowledge, on your best knowledge mm -hmm. of the of the subject. So there's no reason why you can't do that, and and the fact that you can't prove it is is not a serious problem uh, in this regard because all you have to do is is say that it's plausible. Mm -hmm. Once you once you've said that something is plausible, then in, the burden goes the other way. The burden goes on the theist uh, because in the God of the gaps argument, which is which, which is what you use all the time, uh, the theists over and over again use the God of the gaps argument, namely science can't explain this, therefore God does. Right. Well, of course, God doesn't explain it either. Any uh, to say God explains it is no better than saying science explains it. They're both, they're both equal at that level. Mm -hmm. But if science can then come along and, and say, well, I can't explain it for sure, I can't prove it, but I can present you with a plausible scenario that's consistent right. with all we know, 
then the God of the Gaps argument falls apart. Right. What they have to do for the God of the Gaps argument to work is they have to say not only can't science explain this phenomenon, he never will be able to explain this phenomenon. Now, the intelligent design people, to their credit, understood that. Mm-hmm. And that's why you will hear them claim that, uh, that what they're talking about, science will never be able to explain. Mm-hmm. They don't, you know, they, they, they talk about irreducible complexity. complexity. Science will never be able to explain that. And in fact, there's an even more general argument that they make. Dembski makes that in his book, uh, Intelligent Design, that there's a law of conservation of information and that there's no way that a natural process, a random process or even just a, uh, an algorithmic process uh, in, in, in nature can't generate more information than exists previously. So you always have to have information from the outside, and that's just false because there is no law of conservation of information. <laughs> information is equivalent to entropy, and there's no law of conservation of entropy. Entropy can, as we talked about earlier, can increase with time. So uh, it's possible to produce information by natural processes. Again, I give some examples of that, not in this book, but in an earlier book, As Science Found God. I go into that in some detail. And uh, you can see this uh, in evolution, how how uh, information gets basically mm-hmm. generated by the natural selection process. And you see it in physical processes as well. The, the whole business of, of getting complexity from simplicity is, is very common, not just in biology, but in physics. It's a well-established phenomenon. I, I think many of the um, more thoughtful theists that I will talk to are really through with trying to use evidential arguments and other things to show the existence of God that say that it's somehow proved or that it's rationally more plausible than naturalistic alternatives. Um, and they're, they're satisfied with the idea that they can't prove God. What they want to do is they want to escape the debate by calling it a draw. They want to know that there is still at least space for God to exist, that they could accommodate God into a, a very scientifically respectable worldview, even if they can't prove it. And one of the things you mentioned in your, your book is that one way they try to make space for God would be to say, because of quantum physics, we have a way that a God could be transcendent and imminent. He can intervene in the universe, and this wouldn't violate any Newtonian physical laws and that sort of thing. What do you say to that? Is there still room for God? I have a book coming out uh, next year, early next year, called Quantum Gods, where I examine exactly that proposition in in some detail. There's a group of theologians uh, that I have a lot of respect for because they uh, are not uh, trying to undermine science in any way. They accept science. They say science. They accept the fact that science works. We know that science is a very effective means of uh, learning about the universe. And, uh, of course, they believe that God uh, made science in the first place and uh, invented the laws of nature. No, I don't, but uh, that's their premise. And, and and I call them the premise keepers because that's the premise. <laughs> that's the premise they're trying to uh, hold on to. They would look are looking for a way that, that God could act in the universe, consistent with both Christianity and with with science. 
and without violating any of the laws uh, of nature. And there have been a whole series of of Vatican conferences on just that subject, uh, God's action in, in, in nature. I mean, the basic argument that people have been trying to make work is to use quantum mechanics or something else called chaos theory. It's also from physics, uh, a combination of quantum mechanics and, and chaos theory to uh, find a, a way for, for God to act in the universe. In, in particular, in quantum mechanics, we have something called the Heisenberg Uncertainty Principle. Which is one of the favorites of your New Age types, like uh, right. the, the Secret uh, or yes. some of those other... Yeah, that's the other half of the book covers, covers the attempts to seek out the idea of there being a, a cosmic consciousness that's not the mm-hmm. Christian God or, uh, at all, but just some, some, something out there that yeah. uh, is in control of things and that humans can tune into by their minds. That's another subject. Mm-hmm. But the subject of divine action by a uh, Christian like God turns out, and to make a long story short, it just doesn't work because e- even with uh, the Heisenberg uncertainty principle, God would have to be poking his finger in to the motion of every particle in the universe uh, constantly to to cause an event to come out the way he, he wants it to come and while that you might say that's in principle possible, it's 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 not the kind of God that that sees. Let's say these these Christian theologians are not happy with that. Instead, what they have come up with is they say, well, you know, God, after all, made these laws to begin with, so He shouldn't have to step in and and change anything. But at the same time, we now know that uh, from quantum mechanics that the that the universe isn't everything isn't predetermined that happens in the universe that was once thought uh, uh prior to this uh, to the 20th century we, it was it was thought that everything that happens is predetermined uh, by the newtonian laws of of uh, motion but now we know that's not the case uh so there's a lot of random events that happen so they say well god put randomness into the mix when he made the universe and then uh, this combination of, of uh, law and randomness uh, is creative. It produces, uh, uh, we, we, we've seen this from simulations uh, that you can do all kinds of things with that combination, with the combination of law plus randomness. You can generate very complex systems. So that's how it works. The, the, this God just uh, uh, creates the universe, puts a lot of randomness in there, and then uh, lets lets it go, and lets it carry on from there. And however it, however things work out, that's consistent with his his uh, purposes for the universe. Because after all, he set it up that way, and and he's happy with whatever outcome there is. And so, kind of a, uh, like a deist god. Yeah. Very well, that's similar. exactly the point I was getting to. Is that this is then then you have to reconcile that with the Christian God who steps in. Mm-hmm. And answers prayers and so on. Why would you pray to such a god, for example, if that god didn't ever do, do anything anymore? Right. Now I admit that god would be difficult to detect, and and and, and so my all my arguments in God the failed hypothesis don't r- really refer to that god because that god is is not the god that most people right. worship, and and that's what people have to understand the difference. Sure, you can conceive of a god that's that's undetectable. But that God would be a deist God. That's right. not the Christian God. So no matter how you no matter how you twist it, 
you can't save the the Christian God. You can get a God in there, but you right. can't. He's not any longer the Christian God. And I've heard objections of this kind. Uh, it, it's kind of a card that a lot of more liberal religionists will play, is to say, why do you insist on using um, one of these more Abrahamic gods? Why not use the more abstract god of Paul Tillich and mm-hmm. other things? And one thing that occurs to me is this seems like very ad hoc reasoning. Sure, if you're aware of what all the critiques are of the arguments of theism, you can re- go back to the drawing board and redraft a god that will be harder and harder to disprove. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, why are we sure that a god that would exist would have these attributes? And, and what's the purpose of believing in it rather than just to say, I have this to believe in? Well, uh, because it's the desperation to have a god no matter what. Even though there's no evidence for such a god, right. uh, you still want to have a god. You want to have a god out there, and so uh, you invent one. And that's always been the case anyway. If this need is so strong, some people who are generally skeptical of the paranormal and might, uh, might more or less agree with us uh, as being naturalists and other things, they say if people want to believe in a god that desperately, just let them believe it. You know, we should focus on making sure that science becomes accessible to um, to religious people, that we should try to get r- rid of the creationists and, and really focus on those battles and make evolution and Big Bang cosmology and everything else accessible to the average religious believer. Stop trying to tell people that science refutes their religious beliefs. Now, you haven't taken that approach. You've taken it head on, and you've said, no, this is the science, and it shows that these beliefs are untenable. Mm. How would you answer that other side that says, just don't don't tiptoe into these other well, I think I think you could find the answer in a number of books, recent bestsellers, <laughs> starting with Richard Dawkins, well, starting actually with Sam Harris's End of Faith, and then his Letter to a Christian Nation, two bestsellers, Richard Dawkins' bestseller, uh, The God Delusion, which uh, was on the New York Times list for 51 weeks and has sold has sold uh, probably 2 million copies by now. And then there's uh, uh, Christopher Hitchens' God is Not Great. And uh, uh, we're all part of a new movement that has been dubbed the New Atheism. And if you Google New Atheism, you'll find 100 books out there trying to counter the new atheism right. from the Christian from Christian bookstores, mostly. But books like the one I just mentioned uh, from Dinesh D'Souza. Uh, and uh, so there is a, a real battle uh, going on, uh, not just between theists and atheists, but between two kinds of atheists or two kinds right. of secularists, the ones who argue the way you do that we should leave things the way they are. And the message of the new atheists is not just that these these ideas are wrong, but they're dangerous. Mm-hmm. And they're not only dangerous, they're immoral. Mm-hmm. Now, these are hard. This, this is a very hard line approach that uh, uh, is only agreed to, let's say, by a minority of, of scientists. But the very fact that these books have sold so well, and let me tell you that the books refuting it have not sold very well at all, uh, that that this is really a message that is is uh, hitting home to a lot of people that they really are th- thinking that hey this is right uh, 
And and actually, what triggered it uh, most of all was the nine eleven disaster. And mm-hmm. People began to think, "Wow, religion really can do with bad things." And uh, and so, what these other authors have done, I haven't uh, talked much about that in this book. I just touch on it because here I was just mainly concerned with the existence question. I'm, I am going to talk about it in future books. Uh, I'm, I'm writing something now on the new atheism called the battle against. God, and the but what uh, these three authors in particular, Hitchens, uh, Harris, and Dawkins have done, is is shown uh, how faith, for example, uh, blind faith, uh, 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 is very damaging to society. All of the they they spend a lot of time going through all of the the various uh, ways in which. Uh, Religion uh, has 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 been a negative force, even an immoral force, in human events. And uh, just in our own country, we we have the results of the Bush administration as a as an example. This is also one of the reasons why this subject is is particularly popular because we have that before us. Mm-hmm. We have. Uh, the Bush administration's attitude, for example, about uh, various methods of of, uh, uh, of birth control. The only acceptable method is abstinence. And it's well known that abstinence just doesn't work. There are many studies that abstinence doesn't work. And yet it's, it's a, a Christian evangelical uh, dogma that, that that should be the only method of, of birth control. Right. Uh, as exemplified by our new vice presidential candidate, Sarah Palin. <laughs> uh, she's a great believer of, of just that point. And that's what would be, we'd be back to the Bush administration right. if we ever had her in there. And so there's an example uh, of a theological belief that yeah. would seem quaint on its own if, if we didn't see that, yes, when we're denying uh, condoms and, and sex ed programs, th- even in even and, in sub-Saharan Africa, and think think of the suffering. Problem. Think think of the suffering that that position has resulted in, just in Africa, right. with the uh, millions of, of people who have AIDS or who have died from AIDS, uh, just because of the the fact that the Bush administration would not not allow the distribution of condoms as mm-hmm. part of of the. Uh, uh, and and put its emphasis on on uh, the unworkable uh, abstinence proposal. In fact, they even went farther than that. When the National Institutes of Health had a report uh, on abstinence that didn't work, they made them take it off their website. Mm-hmm. So uh, so that's what you get. You get when when people uh, allow religion to uh, to be the basis for their decisions, then everything else is out the window, including, including science. It's, the scientists have to learn that religion and science are fundamentally incompatible, and they have to stop trying to compromise with it because it'll never happen. I certainly think I agree with you more than I would disagree with you on that point, but the question still remains in my mind uh, is, at least here, the situation in America. I, I'm not sure us hardcore naturalists have the coalition necessary to really make social change in the areas we want. What do we do then with people who are in the more liberal religious position who who can be those allies up to some point, 
promoting science education and other things, uh, how should we relate to them? Or, or would you disagree with my my very? No, you're right. That, that's that. a very that that's why I think we have to uh, debate this argument out because uh, that position is a is a very reasonable one. But I think the short term is less important than the long term. Mm-hmm. The long term goal here is to have people stop thinking religious thoughts. You stop putting religion as the basis for their decision-making. And this includes the moderate and liberal mm-hmm. uh, Christians and other religionists. Uh, they still are offering, this is a point that Sam Harris makes in his book that is so unique, it had never been made before, uh, where uh, you uh, have to give the, the moderate uh, believer some part of the blame for events like 9-11. Uh, because they continue to encourage uh, irrational thinking, uh, superstitious thinking, uh, even though even though they're not reason. extremists on it. I'm not saying that they had a direct role in in, in any kind of terrorist activity or or extremist activity. They they abhor Certainly it not. just as much as we do, but that's the effect of it. The effect of it is is that this kind of thinking. Uh, uh, is being used instead of uh, rational thinking, instead of critical thinking, instead of looking at each issue uh, on its merits, uh, uh, rather than looking at some book or some source uh, of truth that's not there. Being one of the uh, one of the new atheists, one of these authors that is now. Uh, has thrust atheism back into the mainstream. Where do you see this movement going? Is this just a trend? Is this just a reaction to Bush uh, and uh, and the the post the early post nine eleven years? Uh, or do you think this this uh, new atheism will have staying power? Well, I've talked to enough people now around the country uh, who who have said they're coming out, coming out of the closet, just like. Homosexuals mm-hmm. came out of the closet and found life was a lot better for them when they admitted, <laughs> even even if they had conservative parents, their parents still loved them, and they found that they that they could still survive perfectly well uh, uh, with with the uh, name of uh, title of gay attached to them, and that was a wonderful thing. I think that happened, and I think I'm, I'm hoping that the same sort of thing happens with with atheists. I'm hoping that more and more people now will uh, will will recognize that. They'll join they'll join the various groups like the wonderful one you have here in Grand Rapids. Uh, just uh, is uh, a, a marvelous group here and I've seen a number of wonderful groups around the country and they just join these groups and uh, get involved and actually uh, have some fun too. It's not just a serious business. You, you have social events, you have uh, you provide a lot of the kinds of, of, of uh, benefits that a church provides uh, by just uh, having having people able to get together and talk and socialize, but always with that uh, aim toward uh, education, getting people to think critically. Certainly, don't uh, force force feed anybody. Yeah. Just get them thinking about things. That's that's all I have to do. I'm kind of hoping that's the next step for us. I'm I'm hoping that as uh, as you and Dawkins and others are are 
really getting people to do that, to come out of the closet, to be, to, to lessen their fear about coming out as an atheist. I'm hoping some of us who aren't, aren't you know, big scientists and, and, uh, and celebrated authors, uh, I see some of the role that we play is, uh, is backing that up by forming the communities. Um, what a good pair that is, you know, the people out there in the culture pushing it on the line and, and uh, the grassroots movements that are popping up all over. Uh, well, thank you so much, Dr. Victor Stanger, for joining us on Reasonable Doubts, and uh, good luck to all your projects in the future. Well, well that was a, certainly a pleasure talking to you. I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, listening to your program on a regular basis. I've heard such good things about it. Somehow I didn't, I didn't know about it before, but I'll certainly uh, tune it in from now on. Uh, thank you. Thank you again. Thank All right, so it's been uh, some gloom and doom and a lot of critical things that have been said today on the show, but we have just enough time to end the episode with a props. Um, some, Hooray! Yeah. And a rather surprising source of props. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. It's not all that often that we have wonderful things to say about the Catholic Church on this show, mm -hmm. but there are times when they impress us and they deserve... Uh, they deserve to be complimented and encouraged, and I think they have certainly done something praiseworthy here just recently. Yeah, this comes to us from the Catholic News Service, the most Catholic of all news services. The Vatican Evolution Congress to Exclude Creationism and Intelligent Design. Speakers invited to attend a Vatican-sponsored Congress on the evolution debate, and of course we use the term loosely, will not include proponents of creationism and intelligent design, organizers said. The Pontifical Council for Culture, Rome's Pontifical Gregorian University and the University of Notre Dame in Indiana, oh wait, that's Notre Dame, are organizing an international conference in Rome as uh, part of a series marking the 150th anniversary of the publication of Origin of Species. As Archbishop Gianfranco Rivasi says, the theory of evolution is, quote, not incompatible with the teachings of the Catholic Church or the Bible's message. Uh, Jesuit Father Mark Leclerc, a philosophy professor at the Gregorian, uh, told the Catholic News Service, arguments that cannot be critically defined as being science or philosophy or theology did not seem feasible to include in a dialogue at this level, and therefore, for this reason, we do not think to invite supporters of creationism and intelligent design. The Catholic Church is saying that these arguments are, cannot be defined as philosophy or theology or as science. Yeah. Therefore, they don't have a seat at the table in an intellectual <laughs> discussion. That, that's... That's really, huge. That's really remarkable. What's the distinction between the Catholic Church's view of evolution versus intelligent design? Like some people make a distinction between theistic evolution and intelligent design, but basically they think that the process of evolution happened the way that Darwin said it did, right? Except God guided the process. It just happened that God was the one who started it, right? So what what is the distinction between that and intelligent design? I'm not really sure. I, I don't know, and it's it's quite possible that they haven't clearly articulated that themselves, um, except to say. A Intelligent design involves 
maybe a lot more as it's stated, like as far as trying to bring things in from information theory and and, uh, well, and other other attempts like irreducible complexity and stuff like that. Maybe they mm-hmm. don't get involved exactly. in any of the verbiage and just keep it more general. Well, God, God had a hand in, in directing this. Or, right, or, to just say that God yeah. created all things, therefore God created life, right. but it, it, he did it in this way as opposed to God has to step in all of the time to fix stuff that he didn't quite get right the first time the way the intelligent design well, people talk e- even, about it. Even the article tries to show that that, they're, that they might be keeping things open intentionally and trying to really think out and craft a new position. It says here, mm-hmm. Gianaro Aluda, professor of philosophy at the Gregorian and head of the STOQ project, said the organizers hope the encounter will help theologians and philosophers, quote, be a bit more humble and learn to listen a bit more to what science is unveiling about humanity and the world. So, And, you know, to his credit, uh, Pope John Paul II, not one of my favorite guys, but he did say, too, that if theology comes in conflict with known science, then something is wrong with the theology. Mm-hmm. So this is not a terribly new thing for the Catholics. Now with Pope Benedict in the chair, it's it's impressive yeah, that, that we're going this this liberal yeah, by Benedict acknowledging is science. Much more conservative than John Paul. Yeah. Um, so this is very encouraging and bravo yeah. to uh the uh Vatican Evolution Congress. Yeah. Props to them. Let's uh let's hope some Protestants can take a page. Hmm. Learn something. Let's hope more Protestants, I should say. There you go. Let's hope Sarah Palin. That's all for now. If you have questions, comments, concerns, challenges, etc., email us at doubtcast at gmail.com. You can find us on the web at doubtcast.org. We're also on Facebook. We are on MySpace. And we're on Zazzle. Buy t-shirts. <laughs> or, or don't. And... Please feel free to write a review on iTunes, especially if you like the show. If you don't like the show, feel free to skip that. And we appreciate all of the mail we've been getting recently, especially concerning our big extravaganza with episode 20. Uh, The response has been great. So uh, if you haven't checked out that episode, please do so. It's a little different, but it's worth listening to. All right. Till next time. Episodes, links, or to email us your comments, log on to www.doubtcast.org. Our theme music, Apple Tree, is produced by Love Fossil and used with permission. Are we ever going to record new credits? Sure. Well, today we can what? play the credits backwards and then have a palindrome. <sighs> nice. go, go, go ahead. Do you know the very first words spoken were a palindrome? Madam, I'm Adam. <laughs>